For the third year and counting, Richard Skipper has been celebrating the artists you love. Richard Skipper is all about celebrating life, art, and his guest body of work. Please join us while he showcases these diverse and talented individuals. Here's Richard Skipper. Happy Sunday, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of Richard Skipper Celebrates. Who or what are you celebrating tonight? I am celebrating a new friend in my life. At least I hope that she's a new friend. Uh, at the end of our conversation tonight, if I, if we become good friends, I will be a very happy camper. Uh, speaking of happy campers, this book, Broken Little Believer, is just such an incredible book on so many la- uh, levels and layers. I've got the both words going in through my head that we'll get into in just a moment. Shane, welcome to the show. And I want to ask you before we begin, who or what are you celebrating today? Well, first, thank you so much for having me. I am honored to be on your show. I absolutely love your spirit. I love your energy. And I love that you celebrate every day because that's what I believe in. Um, what am I celebrating today? As a matter of fact, um, I actually celebrated someone very special. It was a celebration of life today for a friend of mine who went home um, to be in heaven. And today was actually the celebration of life for her. Her name was Patricia. And she was an angel in my life. Even though it wasn't a very long time, the impact that she had on my life and in my heart was profound. And so um, it was purely coincidental that today was her celebration of life. And today this was already scheduled. So I'm glad that you asked me that question because it couldn't be more perfect. Well, thank you for that. Uh, And I, and you're absolutely right. I do believe in celebrating each and every day. Um, One of the things that I really got from your book, and I love, first of all, the fact that you have a soundtrack to this book Um, because each chapter, it goes with a, a song title and through Spotify or my little device, I will not yell her name out because she'll go off. Uh, But uh, as I would pull up the title. I would ask to listen to that. And I would just sit and I would listen to the lyrics of these incredible songs that you chose. And there is a soundtrack to all of our lives. And you really delve into that. It's interesting because, first of all, I love the analogy of your book of doing a road trip. And those who know me, and I say this at the end of every show, I'm a skipper. That's my real last name. And I'm always thinking about navigating, navigating through the waters of life, through all these things. And so there were so many things that were jumping out at me as I was reading your book. Um, So whose idea was it to create the soundtrack? Mine, mine. It was mine. Uh, I think because my life has been a journey. I mean, everyone's life is a journey. Everyone's life is a journey. Mm -hmm. But because I spent so much of my time traveling and on the road, just constant motion, it was only fitting that certain songs that were important to me at different times in my life should be part of a soundtrack, a playlist. And if I'm inviting readers on a journey, I wanted it to be a fully immersive experience. I wanted them not only to join me on a journey, but for them to sit back in the passenger seat and to be able to observe 
and make memories of their own, to revisit places that maybe they were afraid to do on their own, or maybe visit places that they've never been and have some new perspective. And of course, you, I love the title of the book, Broken Little Pieces. How did you come up with the title of the book? So, Broken Little Believer, I feel- uh, Broken so, Little Believer, I'm sorry. Yes, no, no, Broken no. Little Believer. No, 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 that's okay, because pieces is part of it. Yes. Um, and pieces ties in because I really don't think that there's a person in this world that isn't broken in some way. And if someone said, oh, you know, like I'm broken, I think, unfortunately, today, too many people look at the word or take the connotation of being broken as a, a shameful thing. And I don't think that we should have shame when we talk about breaking because we're only human and we've all been broken in some way by some experience in our life whether it's a broken home, whether it's a bad relationship, whether it's an illness, a loss, you're grieving, you're, you're fearful. Um, the, the day and age that we live in right now, that sometimes the world seems a little broken. Mm -hmm. So I felt as though it was, we are taking all of the pieces and the pieces, the broken pieces that we endure and that we um that we experience along the way it's what we do with those pieces that makes the difference that's what changes the trajectory of your life so broken little believer ever since i was a little girl there have been challenges and things that have happened to me um even at a very young age that i think a lot of people expected i wasn't going to make it that I was just going to be another statistic, that I would end up, you know, down a, down the wrong way, a bad way. But I was committed to believing, uh, not only in my, my faith, but believing in possibilities, believing in a better, brighter day, believing in the goodness that exists, even, even amidst the pain. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, you know, I think I went with broken little pieces because mm -hmm. as I was reading the book, um, I always, I, I felt about pieces of a puzzle. Yeah. Like all of those pieces are coming together. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, I asked for a, a photograph of you uh, at an early age and you look the same, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I asked for this picture because it's very interesting I asked for a five-year-old. I think you said this was a little younger than that, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, but I always go back to the five-year-old self because to me, the five-year-old self is the purest self. It's before life begins to tell you who you should be or who you shouldn't be. And all the layers of peer pressure and all those things start to get layered on. Yeah. I've always believed that until reading your book. And I'll <laughs> tell you why I say that. Because all these things that were happening to you before you even got to five years of age. Mm -hmm. um, as you said, a lot of people probably gave up on you. A lot of people probably felt that you would not uh, survive, but a survivor you are. And there are a couple of things that I wanna ask. Um, number one, has that strong faith and belief and hope always been there? Yes. Um... It has always been there, but I think when I was young, you know, 
not only because of my age, but I think emotionally, spiritually, I wasn't fully formed. I was just, mm -hmm. I knew that there was something bigger. Um, it wasn't until I was a little bit older and I, I understood what faith was and what my belief. Um, but I think it was the magic of just believing. Like children, when they believe in Santa and that excitement and that hope and that wonder um, and, and fairies and, and just the goodness. Um, but then I, I understood that I had someone watching over me. And I knew that I needed to believe in that. I, I didn't have a lot of support and um, I didn't have the adult support at times when I should have. So I kind of had to force myself to believe that somewhere out there, someone was looking out for me. So when I was very little, you know, it was looking up at the stars and, and imagining that there were good things in the world. Um, and then as I got older, I understood, I understood my faith and I did, I, I locked into that and, um, also experiencing a lot of loss. I locked in and held tight to angels and those who have passed on, who were very special people and very important sources of comfort and support for me. I don't, I, I believe that they're always with us and they don't go away. You know, they go away in some sense, but their spirit is always with us. So, yes, my, my faith has been very strong since I was little. And thank God for that, because I, I probably would have been um, in a very different place. One of the things that I want to mention, you mentioned Santa. And because there's you, you mentioned uh, a friend of the family mm -hmm. who <laughs> had all of the attributes of Santa. Uh, and, uh, you know, down, I mean, as I'm reading this, even to the point of you sitting on his lap and everything, and I don't want to go too dark, uh, in, in that direction, but he crossed the line mm -hmm. and, uh, your mom, her response to this was very much, oh, you know, he's just a dirty old man mm -hmm. and that he had done the same thing to her and right. that, uh, there are certain things, you know, it's interesting. We were in church this morning and we, you know, and I was talking about your book um, and uh, it, and I was talking, you know, none of us are responsible for the things that happen in our lives, right. but we are responsible for how we respond to those things. Yeah. And here you are, you went to your mom in, mm -hmm. you know, in confidence mm -hmm. and she at that moment essentially brushed it off as, well, that's who he is. Right. Um, and I can only imagine, you know, as I'm reading this book again, and I want to dissect uh, you and your life, if you'll uh, forgive me for going there. No. Uh, but I grew up in um, in a household uh, with I'm the oldest of four. Um, my father uh, was an alcoholic mm -hmm. and I dealt and lived with those things. And when you live in that kind of environment and when you're the oldest, um, you very you learn very quickly to yes. become like the person in charge. Yep. Uh, I'm the oldest of four. I have a sister and two brothers. If they got out of line, I was the one who was punished. Uh, yes. Why weren't you watching after them or anything? Mm -hmm. When in your book, when you mention your mom uh, announcing to your father that she's pregnant with your brother, mm -hmm. his response uh, gave me chills. Yeah. 
And, uh, yeah. but that one sentence mm -hmm. also summed up um, a lot of what I need to know about your father. Yeah. So let's start with him okay. and, you know, and the life lessons that you learned from him, because I learned a lot of life lessons from my father. Going yeah. Through the situation that I went through. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, good, bad or indifferent, um, we, we learn lessons. And I certainly did learn a lot. Um, you know, up until I met him, because my parents divorced when I was very young, um, and then there was no interaction, there was no relationship. So up until I actually met him, it was just hearsay. It was what it was my mom's side of the story. Um, and even though I was young, I was astute enough because of some of the things that she had said before, like brushing off the incident that had occurred. I knew that I needed to have both sides of the story. I knew that I needed to understand the other side. And um, so the stories that she told me, I actually just kind of tucked them away. And I, I had no reason not to believe her, but I wanted really to prove that. And so when I met him, um, those stories were very, were very much accurate. They were very much accurate. I, I try really hard because of my faith and because of who I am and because, and I'm sure you, although I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I can get the sense that you are not someone who blames. We don't have a choice in what happens. Um, but pointing the finger and blaming people for situations doesn't help us and it doesn't get us any further in life. So I have accepted that I was dealt what I was dealt and I got, um, you know, the parents that I got. And even some of the, the terrible things that happened taught me some very valuable lessons. And like you, as the first child, I carried a a very big sense of responsibility like you to take care of my brother and to try to hold things together. Mm -hmm. And I also carried a lot of um, not guilt, but questioning, you know, could I have done something better? Could I have done something more? Could I have tried a little harder? Um, and I think that that creates in a child inevitably for them to grow up and they kind of become, whether they want to believe it or not, a perfectionist. And they try to do everything the right way and to the best of their ability. And it's taken me a long time to understand because I'm, I'm a, a deep diver too. I want to know why things are the way they are. So I'm always analyzing myself and analyzing my emotions and analyzing, you know, why, why do I feel this way? Um, because I want to, I want to be, I want to be better. I don't want to just be a product of where I came from. So I, that was a long answer. And no, it's a great answer. But to, to get back to that, I would say that unfortunately, he taught me a lot of things. The lessons that he taught me were a lot of the things that I didn't want. A lot of the things that I didn't want in my life. And um, I knew what kind of father I wanted for my children. I knew that because of him, I wanted someone who was going to have faith, 
someone who was going to be a hard worker, someone who no matter what would be there for their kids, no matter what. So he taught me a lot of things, unfortunately, by um, not the most positive method, but regardless. By example. Yeah, by example. And then I want to talk about your mom. I mean, you uh, and your brother and your mom uh, were on the road a lot. Uh, yeah. Us, you know, you know the analogy through the uh, the book and the lessons that you learn. Um, and then you learn at a very early age that your mom um, had what you thought was terminal cancer, yeah. and she, but she survived that. Thank God. Mm -hmm. um, and. But already within you at a young age, you are already anticipating not having a mom and you and your brother being pretty much on your own. Mm -hmm. And you were busy taking care of him and truly being a parent when most kids should be out being kids. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, that was quite an experience. And I think that at that time in my life, um, I don't think I know. Uh, I I had faith before, but it was in a little little church in a little town in Nebraska that I just walked into, and it was there that I knew, and and my faith was solidified, because if I had been left out there alone, um, just taking care of my brother, because we had been tossed around so much and we had been at different homes and put on, you know, Greyhound buses in the middle of the night. If I had been left alone just to care for my brother and not stumbled into this little church and really felt the presence of, of God looking over me and watching out for me. And all the time that I sat there just praying day and night, praying that she would get better. Um, yeah, I, things things would have been very different. Things would have been very different. But I saw many examples of faith there, not just in that little church, but it was in the people. The people who had no idea where this little girl came from. She just wandered into this church, and it was a small town, so you know the people who live there. Yes. Um, and they, you know, they, they fed us, and they invited us, and I don't even know that they ever found out where we came from, but that experience of kind of having a, a little community, a little tribe that 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 took us in. And even if it was just a meal here and there, it was the presence and the reminder that there was goodness in the world. And there was another side. And I just had to hold on tight until we got to that other side, that better, brighter day. Well, Shane, even before then, I mean, early in the book, um, the cast of characters that kept getting placed in your path uh, for whatever reasons um, were, I mean, it, it, one of, I, I did watch an interview that you did and this, they said you're, this should be made into a movie because I don't think, I mean, it's like a Fellini movie. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the cast of characters that you met and with each of these people, it, it, rather than, going down a path of destruction or anything, it was almost as if you were learning these life lessons from each person that was put in your path. I, um, 
I, I don't know where it came from and I don't know why, you know, I think it was just, it was self-preservation. It was survival mode. But I always said to myself um, from when I was very, very little, when something bad happened, I always said to myself, there's got to be a reason for it. There has to be a reason for it. And I remember thinking, you know, when one thing would happen, I thought, well, maybe one day in the future, I'll be able to, I'll have that experience and I can help someone else or I can talk to someone else or I'll be able to relate to someone who's been through something like that. But I never imagined that I would have such a bag of experience that I would be able to relate to so many people. I didn't say that as a challenge. I said it as a coping mechanism because I didn't really, if you don't think that some, and that's part of the, the subtitle, finding purpose in all the pretty painful pieces because yes. they're not always pretty. They're not always painful. Sometimes they're pretty painful. <laughs> and yet when you got a little older, you had a pull, even with everything that you had been taught about your father, mm -hmm. to go and live with him. Can you describe that pull and what it was that was pulling you in that direction? Uh, the pull was really... The pull was really um, a difficult time with my mom, things were changing for her. Um, she but I, you know, I, get, I get all that, but I mean, yeah. uh, with some uh, with some kids, and you were still a kid, um, mm -hmm. they could have said, well, I'm gonna go stay with friends, I'm gonna go and live on my own and everything. You had had a lifetime up to this point mm -hmm. of an image of your father I mean, was it curiosity that was also pulling you in that direction? It was uh, a phone call that he made while I was at my grandparents' house. And he said all the things that I hoped he would. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I was never there for you. I'm sorry for the bad things that happened before. Will you forgive me? Can I come and visit you? And I didn't, like, it wasn't an immediate decision that I was going to move out there. Mm -hmm. He asked first for permission to come and visit while I was at my grandparents. Mm -hmm. And I thought, and it, and it was a very awkward thing for me to answer, too. How can I say, no, you can't visit? You know, I, I didn't control the state. I didn't control the town. Um, and his family lived in the same town that my grandparents lived in where I was. But he said well, all... He said all of the things that I that I that I hoped he would say. That he he was sorry. He he didn't mean to hurt me. That I was his little girl. That he he wants to make it right. Can I come and visit you? And I said. And do you believe? I mean, now looking back, I mean, writing the book, looking at it through different eyes. He he was sincere sincere about all this. I think he was sincere in that moment. I think he was sincere. Um, I think that things change. I think that some people go through life and they do not have the um, emotional intelligence. They don't have the, the, the faith. They don't have that, the strength. They don't have the, the, 
I don't know. I don't. I don't really want to say moral compass, but they don't have it in them to to be alone. And he could never be alone. He could never be alone. Um, now, before we get to him, I'm going yeah. to back up for a moment. Uh, a detour they wrote in the trip. Um, I want to talk about your grandparents because, <sighs> as I was, you know, reading the book. Um, it really brought up a lot of uh, memories of my own relationship with my grandparents. Mm -hmm. um, you, I mean, they gave you a stability that you had never had anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my grandparents, I mean, that, whenever I think of my grandparents, uh, I can't help but smile because they truly were amazing, incredible people and not without fault. You know, my, my grandfather, um, as he got older, he, he kind of got a little crotchety in his old age, but I, you know, not with me. He just, he I was, have this image of your grandfather with a chihuahua by his, yes. <laughs> yes. And, you know, and you know, and this little dog, you know, and, yes. you know, and this crotchety older man. <laughs> smoking a pipe, smoking his pipe. And, and, you know, he, he wants to watch a show on TV and don't bother me, but he, a man of few words, but you knew, you knew how he felt for you. He, and, and you knew by his example of all the things that he did, the ways that he helped people, the way that after all of his service to our country and to another country, mm -hmm all of his terms of service, that he would come home and he would be the helping neighbor. He would be the bus driver for mentally challenged and disabled students. He, he had a very big, soft heart, but he was also of a generation where you don't show that. Right. But that yeah, you'd have the, right. You'd have the little dog that, you know, ruled, ruled his world. Um, but he was, he was a tough, a tough man. And he was funny too. So, and my grandmother, one of a kind, one of a kind. She just, um, we always had a very special bond, my grandmother and I. And, uh, you know, she's, she was a huge animal lover. She took care of all the animals. And when people would, you know, they lived up on a, um, on the uh, top of a mountain and they would call it a lake, but it was a reservoir. And there were camps all around the reservoir. And so people would go up there during the summer. And they had summer cabins all on this reservoir. Mm -hmm. That was a, like a lake. And there were rowboats and, and non-motorized boats out there. But people would go up there and they'd bring their pets and they'd bring their cats. And then when the summer was over, they would leave them. So Mimi, my grandmother, was the one who took care of all the animals, including some raccoons. and well, you a raccoon going up her pants leg. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I mean, I have to say, I laughed out loud over this. Yes. And, you know, her favorite saying was Judas Priest, Judas Priest. So, I mean, standing out in the yard, pulling her pants down to get this raccoon out of her leg as the neighbors are driving by, Judas Priest, you know. <laughs> yes. It's so vivid. So you did go to live with your father and it didn't turn out as you had anticipated. I no. mean, do you think, looking back again, that your father was aware of the obstacles that he was placing in your path? No. 
No, I, I don't think so. And I don't think that he fully anticipated what it was like to be a father, just like he didn't anticipate what it was like the first time when my mother was sick and he came to the rescue to take us. I don't think he ever understood what it meant to be a father. I think it sounded great. And I think um, the first few weeks when I went out there, it was it was exciting and it was great. And I remember feeling like, oh, you know, he's so proud of me. He paraded me all around town and, oh, this is my daughter. This is my daughter. This is my daughter. And, you know, there was a part of me that thought, gosh, you know, that's a nice, that's 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 a nice thing to be able to say when you really haven't been part of someone's life but i gave it to him i gave it to him but it didn't last it didn't last and um you've read the story so yes. you know once should we, um, should we leave that for them to buy the book to find out yes. why it didn't work out yes, yes. <laughs> that's yes. the cliffhanger everyone <laughs> very interesting because you know jay i don't know if you know a lot about jane fonda's childhood but when she was 12 years old, her mother committed suicide. And Henry Fonda, her father, shut down completely and threw himself into his work. And he was just not, for the rest of his life, a, pater uh, a paternal man. He yeah. did not have that in him. And I just think that there are certain people, I, you know, I've got celebrity friends who have had children um, and the children have had miserable lives mm -hmm. because their parents were not attentive to them. They were right. not there. Some people are just not uh, paternal or maternal. Right. Um, your father, for whatever his history is leading up to when your book begins, uh, that's a, that would be a whole other thing to unravel. Right. And then you look at your mom with everything that was going on in the craziness, chaos in your life, she did seem to try to keep holding everything together. She did. She did. And so, you know, I, I went into writing this book. I did not want to uh, vilify anyone. I didn't, I did not want to vilify anyone, which is why I didn't use, you know, um, I didn't use real names. And I, I went easy. There were a lot of things that I didn't include in the book. Um, believe it or not. Um, mm. But I, you know, I think I really, it was very important to me to really show my mom that she did the best she could with what she had. And I knew that she had overcome a lot and she had been dealt some really bad cards. And so even in her positive and negative examples, I learned a lot, just like I learned a lot from my father. So I, you know, I don't blame anyone. I even thank, you know, my father for who he is because I did learn a lot. Mm -hmm. And if it wasn't, if it wasn't for me taking the chance and accepting and going out to Nebraska, I would not have had the experiences that I did. I wouldn't have really dug down deep and understood um, how strong I really am. And so I think that 
that awareness, that self-awareness. And I left knowing I tried and now 100% with beyond the shadow of a doubt, I gave it my best effort and I saw for, for sure what I had to see. I want to talk a, a little bit about your process um, in, in this book, which again, uh, Broken Little Believer, you can't put it down. It is just an incredible book. Uh, so kudos and congratulations. Thank you. Did this book come about because of COVID or were you already thinking about this book prior to COVID happening? I had been writing, I've been writing my whole life and growing up in a Volkswagen bus, that was what I did in my spare time. And I, um, I, I think because of all of my travel and because of the exposure that I've had to so many parts of the world and different people um, and being inquisitive and wanting to know more, I was just a natural writer. Throughout my life and as I've worked in sales and done different things, I'd be flying, you know, to an appointment or I'd go be, I'd be on a train going to the city or going to, you know, do a sales call for a, you know, someone. And I always found myself just writing. That was my hobby. That's what I, that's what I loved to do. Um, because I, in my writing, it's, it, it is, it explains humanity. It's not just telling a story, but it's giving people different perspectives. And so I would be on a train and I would be writing about, you know, an encounter that I witnessed that could be mistaken by other people, but I witnessed the whole thing. So I saw the truth. I saw what really happened. And so I, I just kind of became this observant storyteller. And I wanted to bring love and light and solutions and kindness and, you know, and, and empathy to people. So throughout all of my life, I've been writing. And as I've gotten to know people, and as you know from reading my book, I haven't, up until recently, I've always been in different places. So I would get to know someone, but they would only know that part of my life, just that period when I met them and and I would tell them oh, they said oh, where are you from and I said oh I'm from all over and I tell them a little bit oh you should write a book and so I started hearing this throughout my you should write a book you should write a book and I kind of thought you know like that's probably what everybody says you know oh, you should write a book then um COVID happened and I had also experienced uh, some loss some significant loss yeah. and COVID happened, and then I underwent, um, you know, a, a very, very big challenge and, a, and a, a personal struggle that tested me in every way. And I thought, you know, I have been doing, I have been volunteering, I've been, you know, involved in this and involved in that. I really can't afford to put this on the back burner anymore. I need to do something for me. And it, there came a point when I thought, you know, all those like, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow. It came to a head and I thought, no one really knows if you have a tomorrow. That's and right. I said, that's it, that's it. I'm writing this book. So COVID kind of helped me do it, but there were other reasons. There's a great line in The Music Man uh, where Marion meets Harold Hill on the footbridge. And she says, I almost didn't come. 
And he said, you know, you can spend a lifetime collecting tomorrows to find out you have no yesterdays. Uh, and uh, let's face it, you've had a lot of yesterdays too. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're all there. Uh, but um, So when you sit down to write the book, and this is a question that I've asked many writers, the first words that we read in the book, are they the first words that you wrote? No. No, they weren't the first words that I wrote. Um, the first words that I wrote was kind of like, I had been climbing a mountain my entire life, just climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing. And when I finally decided to write the book, it was as if I was standing on the top of a mountain that mountain that I've been climbing and climbing and climbing. And I decided to unlock the gate and I was going to open up and let it out. Or that I finally sat down and decided I'm, I'm going to release that. I'm, I'm, I'm finally going to release it. Yes, I'm strong and yes, I'm tough and yes, I've survived and yes, I've overcome. But this story is not just about me. As a matter of fact, I would challenge that it's my story that I am sharing with other people to enable them to embrace their own story. I just want to show just a, a sample here, if I can get this here, uh, that at the end of each chapter, I love the fact that you've got these questions. Um, and uh, first of all, there's the uh, play track number, which mm -hmm. I love. And then, uh, you've got the baggage check um, on this particular page. Is there a pain for your past that you carry with you and can't uh, seem to put down? I will tell you the one that jumped out at me uh, that um, is the analogy. I, I love going to the baggage claim and picking up someone else's luggage yeah. by mistake. Yeah. And, you know, how, I mean, I actually got home once to find out this is not my suitcase. It looked like mine. I, I picked it off the uh, off the carousel. Luckily, there was a number attached and I was able to reach that person and mm -hmm. then go back to LaGuardia and get my suitcase, which was still waiting there for me. Um, but how many times have we gone through life where we pick up the wrong baggage and we carry that about? And it was like, wow. I mean, to have that thought process uh, yeah. is amazing. Yeah. And I think you can probably, you probably have a, a, a real appreciation for that too, because I think growing up in the home that you did and being the oldest, that sense of responsibility, that sense of wanting to fix things and help other people and fix their problems and make things right. Sometimes we we pick up other people's baggage. And what I've learned is I'm happy and 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 want to help other people carry their baggage and lessen their load. But you can't carry someone else's baggage if they don't want the help or they're mm -hmm. not going to take it. Or sometimes the hardest thing is, is that. I want to help carry someone else's luggage and lighten their load. But sometimes people, they want the weight. They, they're mm -hmm. happy 
they're happy with that luggage and that baggage. And they're happy saying, well, this is why I feel the way I do because of all this. But they're resistant to letting it go. So. I, I was having a conversation with a friend uh, just a few days ago. And she's got a, a brother who um, is so far, I mean, in Hawaii, I'll put it out there. She'll know who I'm talking about. Um, but uh, she has become pretty much the uh, chief caretaker for an uh, an ailing parent. And uh, she said that she's been thinking about this lately. If I'm not here to take care of this, who will take care of it? Mm -hmm. And I said, in some instances, no one will take care of it. It will, you know, things will unfold in whatever way it unfolds. Um, because there's some of us who go through life showing up, picking it up the luggage to help someone. It's like saying, you know, can I help you with your bag? No, I don't want to be bothered. Yeah. And we realize that. I want to ask you, uh, with your husband and your children, mm -hmm. um, how familiar were they with the past that you that has brought you to where you are now? Because you were such... Um, it, it, from where we said, a, such a strong, spiritual, grounded person. And are they aware, uh, were they aware of a lot of these stories um, before you sat down to share them with the rest of the world? So my husband, um, he was familiar with most of the stories. He learned a few things when he was reading it. Nothing, you know, earth shattering. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I think when you, whether it's a best friend or your partner or your spouse or whatever it is, you know, how often do you sit there and like tell your life story? You just, you know, you, you kind of do the cliff mm -hmm. note. Um, so when I wrote, I mean, I, I, the, the experiences and the situations that I did write about, I, I wrote about them and I, and I wanted to include detail. So there was some detail that, um, that was new to him. And he said, actually, um, he said a few times to some people, he said, you know, I read that book. I, I had him as one of the proofreaders. You know, I had my editor and I had, but I said, just read it, just read it. So he was one of the proofreaders, one of the, you know, mm -hmm. and he read it three times. And each time he read it, he tells people, he says, I cried every time I read it, every time I read it. My children, um, they knew, you know, because they know that there's not a grandpa, you know, they had someone in their life who was like, who, who was one of the best grandfathers you could be. And it wasn't their biological grandfather, but he was just a loving, doting, proud man who wanted to be part of my life. And his wife is a wonderful woman who I'm still very much connected to. And she's lovely. Um, but they knew that, you know, where's, Where's your dad, mom? So I really didn't share much with them in person for when we were talking because it just mm -hmm. didn't really matter. But once I wrote the book, um, certainly they understood a little bit more. <laughs> my, um, yeah, they, but they, my children did not know a lot of things. Um, you know, they knew that I, that I lived on my own very early. Um, when I was very young. Um, but I didn't, you know, they're, they're young and, and I've, my job as a mother and one of the things that I'm most happy to do is, is keeping the magic alive 
for my children. And now they're Wait, older. They're interrupt, not only do you do that, but you are such, you are so involved in your community and really helping out. Uh, you, it's not that you just wrote a book. You walk the walk and you talk the talk and it's to be admired. So thank you. congratulations again. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I, you know, I learned very early on and um, most people who have ever, if, if anyone has ever volunteered, they know this for a fact. You cannot be a Monday morning quarterback unless mm -hmm. you're playing in the game on Sunday. So I learned very early on that if I had an opinion, a suggestion, or an issue with something, I better darn well be involved. And so I always knew that it was important to be involved because if if anyone has an issue with something, you have to step up. That's right. But you know, when you volunteer and when you do help out, you do see, and you mentioned it, there's always those people that help. There's always, you know, that and it's it's not um it's something that, yes, I'm very passionate about. I, I believe that it's important and it's our obligation to give back. I believe it's an obligation. It's our responsibility. We're given two hands for a reason, one to help ourselves and one to help other people. But, you know, someone once said to me, and they were kind of joking and laughing because I went from one thing, I was, you know, in PTA, and then they asked me to run for the board. And, and I really was, I, I had a lot on my plate but the most disheartening thing about it was that there weren't a lot of people who were running. And I thought, Oh my gosh, well, you, if, if there aren't a lot of people who are willing to do this, who's going to do it. And if you really are doing it for the right reasons and you're passionate and you're honest and you're trying to, to make decisions based on the needs of the community and the needs of the people who want you there, then it's an obligation and a responsibility. But this woman that I that I know, I was just, you know, she said, Oh, now you're gonna be on the board of ed. And I and I said, Well, nobody like where are all these people? Like more people should run. And she said, Well, you know what they say about volunteers, right? And I said, What? She says, Doesn't pay. I said, Yeah, I know it doesn't pay. <laughs> but, but it does. It does. Yes, but it does. It does in different ways. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everybody has a different perspective and a different view and take on things. Um, so um, I, I, I did my time and I was proud of the, you know, the years that I served and it was very fulfilling for a lot of reasons. And um, yeah, I think you have to be, if you want change, you have to be part of change. A few years ago, I was, uh, I wrote a, a show about, my, growing up, I grew up in South Carolina, coming to New York uh, to be an actor and how that all began. And as I was writing the show, my sister said to me, be careful what you share. And, uh, and I can understand that. Uh, I said, this is my story. And I do not want anyone in the audience to feel uncomfortable. And I know it's the same thing with you. This is your story to tell. And you want everyone not to be just backseat writers but to be active participants. I mean, every page to me um, just sparked some memory or some thought that I'd gone through. Um, what was your sensor in terms of what you chose to share 
and what you chose not to share. And yes, you change the names of people uh, to protect them, but it is your story to tell. So what was your deciding factor going through these? Um, well, first and foremost, I always said to myself, you know, when I struggled with certain things to include, I wanted to make sure that the way that I delivered it, one, everything in the book is 100% truthful. Everything is truthful. So if I am speaking truth, then no one could be, you know, it, it's, these are real things. And because it is my story, as you said, I have a right to tell this story. Um, my sensor really was, um, I didn't include a lot of things that were, I felt, I mean, you could read some things and you'd think it, it'd be damning. Um, but there were some things that I think could really, you know, ruin someone's life. And I was mm -hmm. not going to do that. My, my purpose was not to, like I said, vilify anyone or, or to damn anyone. It was really to tell a story that taught a lesson that connected with some other, with other people that gave permission for those who might be hurting or hiding to, to be honest with themselves and honest with their emotions and to feel okay to share their story or to acknowledge painful pieces. Um, and I just knew that there were going to be people out there that I've never met that would read my book and they would say, finally, someone, somebody else has gone through that. Mm -hmm. Or she understood what I, what I, she understands what I feel. So I, I wanted this, you know, not only to be a road trip and, and to have the music and to be fully immersed, but also with the journaling for the passengers that are coming along on this ride to be able to shed their own luggage and their baggage and to be able to acknowledge the things that maybe they've been suppressing or pushing off to the side. And in essence, it's really holding them back from being their true selves. They're fully, you know, happy selves. You know, I I was um, a young adult before I was even able to even verbalize the words that my father was an alcoholic, uh, because there was such shame that went with that. Yeah. Did you carry around a lot of shame as well? Um, and uh, if so, how were you able to let go of that? Yeah, I did have shame. I had shame um, about a lot of things. I ha I felt shame that I didn't have a conventional family unit. Mm -hmm. um, I felt shame that we were poor. I felt shame um, that, you know, my home life was a little different. You know, when I went to other friends, you know, my friends' houses, it was, you know, it felt like going to someone's house after school after, you know, and then coming to my house was a little different. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I, and I had shame uh, over the things that happened, um, you know, my, my, my father and the things that happened even before him, the things that we started this call, this podcast with the very, very beginning and Santa and, and musician. And so I had shame. Um, and I think that in essence, 
and inevitably, I should say, what allowed me to let go of that shame was that none of this stuff was my doing. It was not my doing. It, it, they were things that happened to me. Um, and I, I read a scripture. Well, it wasn't a scripture. It was actually some calendar, but it was a faith calendar. And every day you flip it. And I still have this day. And I tore it out of it and I kept it. And it said, the love of, the, of our Heavenly Father is stronger and deeper and wider than any human father would ever have for us. And I thought, wow, it's, you know, we are all imperfect. We all make mistakes. Um, I'm sure that my father didn't set out <laughs> to, uh, to wreak havoc on, on, you know, and, and no. make so many mistakes. I'm sure he didn't, you know, if he, looking back, I don't know if he has any remorse or regret for some of the things that happened, but regardless, that's him and his life and what he has to live with. What I live with is that I choose forgiveness. I choose to acknowledge the things that have happened to me, find ways to use it to serve a purpose, and to shed that shame because it's not my fault and just move forward in a positive way so that I can help other people. Again, everyone, you've got to get this book. Everybody read this book. I've got two, we're going to run out of time, but I've got two questions that I have to ask before we uh, run out of time. Number one, I want you to give everyone the analogy that's in your book about the rocks. Oh, well, so, you know, rocks, we look at rocks, um, we look at rocks in a lot of ways, but I will tell you that I always viewed rocks, they could be rocks that weigh us down or they could be rocks from which we stand on and they hold us up and um and you know it's sticks and stones and that whole just the idea that rocks can really hurt us and and carrying that those those rocks around with us that heaviness the pain the hurts from the past they can really weigh us down or we can use those rocks and stand on them for firm ground. And that's the way I looked at the rocks in my life. And you're still looking up. I'm still looking up. As a matter of fact, yes, yes, that's that's my tagline, the look up girl. The look up girl. Well, yeah. I wanna thank you so much for being here tonight. I'm gonna to give my closing remarks and then I'm gonna give you the final word. And it can be about anything that we spoke about tonight that you want to build upon, anything that we didn't speak about that you wish we had, or just any final message that you want to leave everyone with tonight. Um, I want to thank everyone for being here tonight. Um, I don't take it lightly when you show up. I don't for all of you. And I look at uh, Alan and Natasha and Sherry uh, and Pam, uh, you show up at almost every single show. Mm -hmm. And it means the world to me that you take the time. You could be anywhere else right now, but the fact that you're here with me, it builds me up and I look up to all of you. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that. Um, as you all know, I end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Pick up the phone and call someone that you have not spoken to in a while and let them know 
how they've made a difference in your life. Uh, Shane mentioned earlier that today was the celebration of life for a dear friend. Um, I also think of these friends that have moved on. Um, I had a dear, dear friend, uh, and today would have been her birthday. It is her birthday. And I think of her as being in the next room, uh, Dana Lorge. Uh, and I just love her. I miss her. She's been gone many years now, but I still miss her every day. And we used to talk on the phone almost every single day. So you can imagine the loss of having that. So it's important that we pick up the phone and we make these phone calls. Um, and I love the analogy of a road trip. As you all know, with me, it's sailing on the high seas. Um, a dear friend of mine says, we're all in the same storm, but we're in different size boats. Mm. Some are in canoes, some are in rafts, some are in yachts, some are pushing uh, tugboats upstream. It doesn't matter what size boat you're on. Just make sure that you have a skipper by your side. And with that, Shane, I'm going to leave and you've got the final word tonight. And I hope that when your next book comes out, or anytime you feel that you have something that you want to share, that you'll keep me in mind. Uh, this has been a real delight. Thank Absolutely. You. Thank you. <laughs> Richard, I, I, had, I had the best time with you tonight. And I shared on social media that if people have not had the opportunity to listen to you and, or to meet you, you have such a spirit and such an energy about you. So it's been a pleasure and an honor to be on the show uh, tonight. So thank you for inviting me. Uh, I do want to say that actually I wrote another book. This is a children's book, um, but The Busy Bridge That Got Its Break, it's a special one. Um, I've been really busy going to schools and talking to young children uh, about the book, but it's also a book that adults enjoy because it's all about how to be a kind person, how to have empathy. Um, it also touches on mental health and the struggles that so many people face, especially now. Um, and this silent, um, you know, crisis that, that we are, you know, facing right now where there's just not enough help and there's not enough resources for so many people who are in need. Um, but I do just want to say that our past does not define us. And our current circumstances do not control our futures. We have power. And it's all in our perspective and all, all in how we choose to look at life and how we choose to treat other people. Um, because right now, when the world is broken, we are a light. We're a light to other people. And we are either attracting goodness and attracting other lights to, to illuminate, or we are causing other lights to burn out. And so the choice is ours. But it has been such a pleasure, and I'm so grateful for all of you who have tuned in and just want to thank you for listening. So have a wonderful night, and keep looking up. Bye.